Hey, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being here wherever you are around Columbus, out of state, around the world. Uh, last week, when we did our very first online service, over 600 of you were here, and we're praying for you uh, by number <laughs> because we don't really know who you are, certainly, by clicking a button. We, we, we can't pray for you personally, but we would love to. We would love to. Find a way, if you could, to be in touch with us. We can only do so much. But if you go to our website, you'll find some way. Either you can download our app, you can follow us on Facebook. There's a little button on the front page down the right-hand corner where you can send us an email. When you feel comfortable, I would love for you to do that so we can make a connection and we can pray for you by name. That would be great. Hey, the service is gonna last less than an hour. We're trying to make it family friendly and be a, you know, a little bit understanding of attention spans. There's a lot going on right now. If you've got kids, um, there is stuff that has either come your way or is coming your way. Kids, you can be involved with that with your parents uh, at some point in time. We'd love to make some alternative to what you would normally find in the morning uh, on Sunday morning. So with that said, let's worship. Right? Let, let's remember the greatness of God, the promises of God. Uh, let's remember that when he's around, nothing will prevail. No weapon, no chain, no darkness. He's got it all. Let's worship with that in mind. Father, yes, we are in awe of you. We're thankful. We're grateful to you, too. Uh, amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you, God. And thank you for the friend that we talked about last week, the spirit of God that comforts, the spirit that Jesus sent. We're thankful for that. You know, when we talked about that last week, we talked about three things in particular that the spirit of God does. I want to remind you of those. And then I'm going to ask the kids another question, and then we'll jump into this week. The Holy Spirit, if you recall, does three things. Well, does a lot of things, but three things that we mentioned this last week. First of all, he points to Jesus. If you find yourself struggling to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to understand Jesus, it's probably because you're not engaging or listening to the Spirit of God. He is the way we come to know this Jesus. Secondly, the Holy Spirit guides us. You know, in essence, Jesus said that he was sending the Spirit upon his departure to take his place as our guide, as our comforter, as our teacher, our truth teller. You know that apart from the Spirit of God, you can't know what is best, what is right, what is good what is beautiful. It is the Spirit of God that speaks of what the truth is, how to even understand the scriptures, how to understand life at its core essence. All comes to us, the scriptures say, from the Spirit. And then third, the Holy Spirit exposes what's wrong with us and within us. The Holy Spirit exposes our sin. You could say that the Holy Spirit exposes our need for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is like light. He exposes what's otherwise in the dark, all of which separates us from God. And if you think about all three of those things work in concert, 
Knowing the truth leads to a correct view of our unholiness, and all of that drives us to Jesus, our friend, the Spirit of God, the one sent by Jesus is a good, good friend. Kids, I wanted to ask you this question. We talked about this last week, about how your best invisible friend is a real friend in Jesus, uh, in the Spirit of God. And he loves you and he wants to spend time with you. Can I ask you to ask your parents or your grandparents or uh, the, the adult friends in your life to help you listen to the Holy Spirit, to talk to the Holy Spirit? And you do that by reading your Bible and praying. Get, get help with that and encourage others to do it too. And now let me ask you, kiddos, I hope you're listening. Let me ask you the, the, about this question. Do you ever get sad? Raise your hand if you ever get sad. Do things sometimes make you want to cry? Well, let me ask you this. You put your hand down. Ready? Do you like being sad? No, me either. You don't have your hand up for that. But how about this? Would you like it if you could always be happy? How great would it be if you could always be happy? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You can't, but there's a secret. Okay, I'm going to tell the adults and talk to the adults about this in about a minute. But in case I lose your attention, I wanted to tell you the secret so you don't miss it. So, so come here, come here, so, so closer, come right up here, so we can, we can, we can whisper, okay, so here's the thing, here's the secret, so I want to tell you, you can be happy, okay, you can be happy all the time, because sadness and happiness sometimes are at the same time, right, you can be sad and also be happy, because you can be happy about some things and be sad about other things. So you can be happy all the time because you don't have to not be sad to be happy. It's always kind of both. Okay, thank you. Okay, you can go back. You can keep listening if you'd like to, but I've already told you the secret. And, and if you want to keep focused and you want to keep hanging in there, please do it because your parents, they actually need your help. The more you're focused, actually the more focused they're going to be. So parents, let me ask you, how are you posturing yourself in this upside down season of life? How are you listening to the spirit? How are you allowing yourself to be influenced by God, to be taught by God, to be changed by your times with God? Let me encourage you to do it, to get into that space. Okay, so this week, as you might have guessed, we're talking about grief because Jesus talked about grief. We're gonna talk about grief because Jesus talked about grief. He talked about grief. I don't recall him ever talking about grease, but he may have. <laughs> stay with me. And stay with the Schizero devotional if you're doing it because he talks about grief as well. You wanna dig into that. Listen to what um, we read in John chapter 16. Jesus saw that they, his disciples, wanted to ask him something. So he said to them, 
Hey, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Jesus said, are, are you confused about that? I see you're talking to one another. Do you want to ask me about that? And, and sure they did, because they didn't understand it. Jesus would say, I'm here, but then I'm going to be gone, but then I'm going to be back. And they didn't really get it. They were starting to get it, and it was making them sad. And he said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something that's really, really true. You're going to weep, and you're going to mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish of her joy that a child is born into the world. And he just uses a metaphor there to wrap it up. But listen to what Jesus says. He's, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn, and the world's going to rejoice. You're grieved, but your grief is going to turn to joy. Here's the big picture. Here's the theological point that Jesus is making. It's actually very straightforward, although it was difficult for them at the time to understand it. It isn't so much for us. They had trouble grasping what we now know in retrospect. Jesus was talking about his own crucifixion, his own resurrection, and his own departure, his own ascension to sit at the right hand of God the Father. They didn't know about that. So these illusions that Jesus was making to himself, going and coming and going, they don't really fully get it. But they're starting to. We see four things in this space that we want to talk about this morning. And just like I was asking the kids if they like to be sad or they find times when they're sad or if they want to be happy, Jesus is talking about those kinds of things, grief and joy. Four things in particular. Number one, grief is real. It's real. Number two, many rejoice over the absence of Jesus. Did you catch that? Many rejoice over the absence of Jesus. Two, the whole mourning and joy is going to flip to where you're mourning, the world's joyful, the world's, you're going to rejoice, and the world is going to be mourning. And then finally, you can have perpetual joy, but it's tied to grief. Let's look at these things. Grief is real. Jesus says, you will weep, you will mourn, and you will have grief. This is a really, really helpful declaration. And it's an unfortunate absence in much of today's contemporary Christian teaching. You, you probably have felt this pressure yourself as a Christian to never be sad, to, to always be happy, at least outwardly and in public, as though there's no place for sadness or grief in the life of a Christian, at least not publicly. But here is Jesus publicly saying, you're going to grieve, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn. Here's the truth. You have grief. Some of you are saying, yeah, duh. But some of you are thinking, no, I really don't. But you do. Not only is it real grief, it's legit grief, and it's ongoing grief. We've talked about this quite a bit. Grief doesn't exist just in the tragic moments of life. Grief is an undertone in this life all the time. 
You're always grieving, or at least could be. I might even go as far as to say should be on some level. We've talked about this, like I said, quite a bit. My wife has written about it extensively. Grief isn't at the core of our most emotional, mental, and even physical distress. But catch this. Oftentimes, unattended to grief or unexpressed grief is at the core of a lot of our problems. Unattended to grief and unexpressed grief. Grief's always gonna be a part of it. It doesn't have to be what distresses. It doesn't have to be the core of what's wrong, but it often becomes that when it's unexpressed or unattended to. Not dealing with grief wreaks havoc on your life. You have grief. You should be mourning. Weeping is appropriate quite often. But in most instances, we ignore it and don't even come close to expressing it properly. It's not isolated to grievous events and the tragedies that do riddle our lives. It's an ongoing reality. Well, what do I mean? You know what I mean. <laughs> Look around. This is not the way God intended for it to be. And one day, he's going to put it all back the way it should be. But for now, it's not right. It's not supposed to be sickness. It's not supposed to be war. It's not supposed to be poverty and disease and death. But here it is. And Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Make no mistake about it. You will have trouble. But we're taught to suck it up. And we feel guilty if our grieving is over something we might determine to be small when others are suffering so much. Those things aren't related. Their grief is their grief. His grief is his grief. Her grief is her grief. My grief is my grief. This is something that's taken a long time for me to learn. Being someone who, that's been spared much, if any, significant grief. It's taken a long time for me to understand I'm still sad about things. I'm still grieved about things. But I never knew that. But it's real. And it's meaningful. And it's powerful no matter what the magnitude is. When I turned 50, I was facing a lot of things. Many of you have been at this space. Aging parents, boys that are launching into, the, into their own lives, uh, Tammy and I not being young anymore. And I was crying <laughs> a lot. It was confusing because this wasn't really sad stuff as much as it was normal stuff. Nobody had died. My boys uh, were launching out in healthy fashion in the ways that we had hoped and raised them to do. 
Tam and I weren't young anymore, but, but we had experience in life that was far more helpful now than we ever were before. It was all good stuff, but I was grieving. Yeah, it was still sad. It took me a while to recognize that. We tend to suck it up, push it down, bury it, try to forget about it, lock it in a closet, minimize it, but you can't. It will blow out the side <laughs> in a lot of unhealthy ways and probably is, right? Trust me, there, there's a lot of stuff going on in your life that's, that's not good, that can be tied back to an unwillingness or an unrecognition of the sadnesses in your life and the griefs in your, griefs in your life. It is a wonderful thing that Jesus does here. He sees their grief. He permits it. He affirms it. He invites it. He handles it. Even Jesus, in the face of losing a friend, weeps under the weight of his own impending doom, is grieved. If Jesus got sad, you're going to get sad, right? If Jesus grieved, you should grieve. So let me ask you, what makes you sad? Don't judge. Don't judge yourself. Don't say that, well, that shouldn't make me sad. What makes you sad? How are you going to engage it? How does it make you feel? Who are you going to tell? How are you going to express it? How are you going to walk in it? Because you need to. Don't pretend there's a way around it. Don't expect to just get over it, through it, past it. There's grief in the world you will never escape and it will always be with you. If for no other reason than this, everything's dying. We don't like to admit that because we don't like to grieve. Do you realize everything is dying? Not because of the pandemic. That's hastening the end of some lives, for sure. Sadly, grievously. But apart from that, you're dying. Trees are dying. Stuff is dying. Buildings are falling down. We keep them up, but if we let them go, they will fall down. Everything. Well, with one exception, and this is a little bit of a tangent. The only thing that's not dying is the church. The only thing that's not dying is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-becoming more and more full of life. That's why Jesus said to Peter when he handed him the keys that even the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. That's what he meant. Even death. Even he, there is no even an eternal demise for the church Everything else will go away, but the church, the kingdom of God will live. But everything else is dying. If nothing else in your life, there is that underlying grief all the time. But there's more in your life and in mine that is worth grieving. Jesus gives us permission to grieve. So don't be afraid to grieve. 
let others grieve, even for a long time sometimes. That's what Jesus says. So the second thing is many will rejoice in Jesus' absence. I don't even like reading that sentence. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and people are going to be really happy about it. Well, that's, a, that's at least a sad thing to say. It's also a pretty mean thing to say. I'm going to be happy when you're gone. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? I don't know if I've ever had anybody tell me that directly, but I can even imagine it. And I certainly know people that have. And it is devastating to hear one person say, I don't want you in my life. I'll be glad when you're gone. That's a horrible thing to say. There were crowds of people essentially saying that to Jesus. Why? Why would people be glad to see Jesus go? Glad that he was going to be crucified. Why? He was wonderful. He loved the unlovable. He taught with great compassion and great power. He never lorded his power over people. He shared everything. He turned the other cheek. He rescued the vulnerable. He came to the, he came to the aid of those who were wrong. He always obeyed God and told the truth. Oh, 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 wait a minute. That's it. That's it. He always obeyed God and always told the truth. This is where it goes south for us. Jesus was under authority and he always told the whole truth. You know, he said that only certain people will enjoy the kingdom of God. Only certain people will be part of his church. Only certain people will get into his space and live eternally with him. And he said, it is the people who do the will of the Father. Okay, I'll do the will of the Father. Eh, probably not. Particularly when you understand the nuance there, which means not your will, but the Father's will. What's implied in doing the will of the Father is that you give up your will. Nobody really wants to do that, at least not naturally. And that's why people like it when Jesus isn't around. Because Jesus says God is at the center of all things. Jesus puts God in first place and he tells the whole truth. And we don't really like that. Contrary to what's most comfortable for us, Jesus doesn't put us at the center of the universe. We put ourselves at the center of the universe. God puts, Jesus puts God there. And he makes it clear that although he is here for us, we are all here for the Father's purposes, and he reminds us of that. He reminds us that God, the Father, is in control, that he says what's good and what's right and what's bad and what's wrong, that all of our resources are actually what he's given us, and he wants us to put them into play in his purposes and his plans. He says that your purposes and my plans aren't what count, it's his he says that we need to give up our ambitions and make his ambitions our ambitions. Jesus reminds us that 
God is in control of everything. Our natural inclination is to resist giving over this kind of control. And so because we'd rather live our life our way on our terms, we keep Jesus at a distance. You could say we're happier when Jesus stays away until we need him. This is why he said people are gonna rejoice when he's gone. And to be honest, it's why we keep him at a distance. Jesus also tells, tells the truth all the time. And kids, you remember, if you're still here, kids, you remember, we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit sheds light in our life and allows us to see everything that's right and everything that's actually not right with us and how uncomfortable that is. Let me ask you something, kids. What do you do when someone's about to tell you something you don't want to hear? <laughs> what do you do when someone is about to tell you what you don't want to hear? You can scream and yell so you can't hear them. You can stomp your feet so they don't hear them. You can cover your ears so that you can't hear them, right? You can run and hide. We don't like to hear when people are going to tell us something we don't want to hear. But I'll bet you also know it's still good for you. Sometimes you're running and playing and you don't want to stop running and playing and, you're, and, and someone tells you to stop and you don't want to and you don't want to hear that. But what you don't realize is that you were about ready to run out into the street and possibly get hurt. Sometimes we don't want to hear, but it's good for us. Do you want to hear anybody tell you to eat your vegetables, particularly your Brussels sprouts or your lima beans? No, I do not want to hear that. I do not. I'm with you on that but it's good for me. We don't want to hear the whole truth. We don't like that. Everything Jesus does is good and it's great and it's awesome until it's too personally disruptive or demanding. We all do this. We cherry pick the word of God. We pick and choose what of Jesus' life and teachings we like or what we want or what we desire and we set the rest of it aside. But if you set aside what Jesus said in any way, shape, or form, you set him aside. And the truth is, we're happier. At least we think we are. People tend to distance themselves from Jesus and he knows it's coming. He knows that people are gonna rejoice when he's gone because we don't really wanna live God's way. And that's what he demonstrated. That's why people are gonna rejoice. Because it's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about you. And we want it to be. Okay, the third thing that Jesus shows us here is that whole mourning and joy and grief and joy thing's gonna flip. He says, you're grieving, but you're gonna be joyful. And those that are rejoicing are going to be mourning. Those that are rejoicing when Jesus is gone, they might Enjoy it for a moment, but they're going to suffer and grieve, and they're not going to have joy for very long. Those who walk away from Jesus, those that, those that push him away, those that, that don't embrace him, don't trust him, they will never know the joy of letting go and letting God. They will never know the peace and the joy that comes from divine forgiveness. They'll never know the contentment and the confidence that they could have in even the most uncertain circumstances of life. They can pretend. 
They can smile. They can temporarily escape the stuff of life. They can medicate their pain. They can jump from relationship to relationship in search of joy and love and contentment, but they will come up completely empty in the end. They will never know joy apart from Jesus. They're going to mourn, but it's going to flip for the disciples, and it is flipped for you and me. The believer, the Jesus follower, the humble servant of God, the patient truster in God gets to enjoy perpetual joy. When we put our trust in Jesus, when when we embrace him, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and show us how much we need Jesus and then allow him to point us to Jesus, we find a new identity, an eternal identity as one of his children. Jesus left, he was crucified, but he was raised to new life and he lives today and he sends his spirit to be with us and the arrival of that spirit and the ascension of Jesus creates an ever-present, indwelling friend, spirit, comforter, strength, joy deep within our soul that can never be replicated or taken away ever. He says, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So what do we do? What do we do in this life where there is grief, but there is joy from God? What do we, what do, we do? Well, let me tell you that I'm asking you to live in the perpetual tension of grief and joy, real grief and real joy together. Just like I told the kids, you can always be joyful. It doesn't mean that there is no grief. It doesn't mean that there is no sadness. In this lifetime, our joy lives in the midst of the reality of this world which is perpetually on some level sad and grievous. Remember that it is in the grief and the griefs of this physical world that the eternal presence of the Spirit of God and the eternal rescue of the Son of God have their greatest meaning and deepest work. I, like you, of course, am comforted by the grace and the mercy of Jesus in my life. But I also know, and it's very clear in Scripture, that Jesus and his Holy Spirit are confronting my pride and my greed and my immorality and my issues of my heart, embarrassing things in my life. And I'm tempted to to, to move away from Jesus because of those things. But our deepest joy is found in the forgiveness of Jesus in the face of all those things. I am comforted by the grace and the mercy of God. But when someone says to me, aren't you excited to see Jesus? I hesitate 
because I know that seeing Jesus and experiencing the joy and the depth of his mercy and his grace and forgiveness means that I have to be aware of how much I deserve it, how much I, how much I don't deserve it. I cannot enjoy the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and I will enjoy it to the depth that is, that I, that, that is possible only in contrast and in the space of how much I really need it. To push away all the grief, to push away all the sadness, to push away, push away all my wrongfulness and my badness is to push away my opportunity to fully understand the joy and the grace and the mercy of God and to be joyful in it all together. It has to be together. So what do you do? You gotta live in attention. You gotta embrace what's painful and embrace what's good. Don't be afraid of the tensions of life. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, the, man, the wise man holds on to the one without letting go of the other. You gotta to commit to a number of things, particularly during this pandemic. In the midst of the distance, you gotta be ready to step in and serve your community. In the midst of the grief, you got to be ready to step in and speak eternal hope into those spaces. Look for ways to do that. Don't deny the heartbreak. Don't allow the distance to keep you from entering in and speaking encouragement and hope. Pray safety over the protection of your city and your nation and the world at the same time looking for the presence of God to sweep in to those hard spaces and bring joy. Don't let fear stop you or snuff out your faithful generosity. Your churches need your ongoing giving. We need your ongoing giving. And the people around you need your generosity if you have the means to do it. Don't let fear override your faith. Let your faith override your fear. Do those things. Finally, let me ask you to do this. Stop asking God to jump into you, fix your river. And instead, search for and jump into the river of God. It's oftentimes chilly, but it's inexplicably refreshing. Jump into the indestructible raft of life, which is Jesus, and into the exciting, unpredictable river of God with all of its twists and turns and rapids. Dodge all the falling trees that eventually serve as bridges for those on the shore to climb up and jump into the raft. Jump into the river with the one who rescues not only once but continually, who's always in control, always aware of what's coming, and above all, always will be with us through it all. Let me ask you to live authentically in the midst of all of what's going on around you. Lean into the stuff that's sad and grievous. Grieve, no matter how big or how small your grief may be. Our perpetual joy is found by being connected to God, interactive with God, 
finding out what he wants for us and then asking for it. Listen, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything, Jesus says. I'm going to be gone. But I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. He said, you've asked me. Now you'll ask in my name and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Putting last week and this week together, here's what we have. An opportunity to live within the space of the spirit of God, the friend that Jesus has sent and to hear from him who Jesus is, what he's up to. And for us to ask in accordance with who Jesus is. That's what it means to ask in his name. It doesn't mean just saying his name at the end of a prayer. It means to know who he is, to know what he's up to, to understand what the scriptures are saying, to hear what the spirit is saying, and then to ask for those things that are in alignment with who he is. When your life starts to line up with God, with Jesus, with scripture, with the spirit. This is where you find the presence of God. This is where you find the touch of God. This is where you find the direction and the guidance and the comfort of God. And this is where you find joy in the midst of it all. The great joy is that he is in control, that he is present, that he will see your life through and into the next, no matter what this one has to hold. Jesus says, mourn, grieve, that's life, but seek me and find me and know joy.